Section 56 of Letters from Victorian Pioneers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nemo. Letters from Victorian Pioneers. Letter number 56, Part 1 from Gellibrand's Memorandum of a Trip to Port Philip. Sunday, January 17, 1836. I embarked this morning with my son Tom on board the Norval for Port Philip, in company with Mr. William Robertson, Mr. Gardner, Mr. Leakey, Mr. Malcolm, and Mr. Moody, the latter gentleman having the management of the sheep on board the property of Captain Swanston. After making Point Grant, we encountered a severe gale of wind from the northwest, and the vessel lay to for three nights and two days under close reef topsails. The vessel drifted about seventy or eighty miles to the southeast, and on Sunday morning, January 24th, at daylight, the ship was again off Point Grant and bearing up to the westward of Cape Shank, and distant about twenty miles. In consequence of the improper manner in which the vessel was fitted up for the stock, about a hundred and fifteen sheep perished by injuries and suffocation during the gale and the day afterwards. The greater portion of the hay had been destroyed in consequence of there not being any proper racks, and on Saturday the 23rd, the passengers were under the necessity of assisting Mr. Moody in feeding the sheep with flour and water. The captain stated that he should not be able to make Port Philip without two or three tacks, and even if he succeeded in getting into Port Philip that evening, it would most probably take him two days to reach the settlement, and he also stated that the ship was under demurrage at ten pound per day and would be so until she came to anchor at Western Port, where she was engaged to taking cargo of bark for the owner. Under these circumstances, and feeling convinced that if a change of wind took place and the vessel was again driven from the land, the sheep must perish, and there not being any means of even keeping them alive for three days, and believing that the sheep could be landed at Sandy Point that day, the passengers were unanimously of opinion that it would be for the interest of the charterers to proceed at once to Western Port, land the stock, and drive the sheep across to the settlement at Port Philip. The captain then, at the request of Mr. Moody, made Western Port, and about twelve o'clock the vessel came to anchor near Sandy Point. About one, the captain, Mr. Moody, Mr. Robertson, Mr. Gardner, Mr. Leakey, and my son Tom, proceeded to the shore, for the purpose of selecting a proper place to land the sheep. I remained on board, for the purpose of getting the long boat out and the sheep ready for disembarkation. In about three hours the boat returned, and the party stated that it was impossible to land sheep, as there was nothing but heath and scrub, and no appearance of water. A person of the name of Tom 
was on board the vessel for the purpose of acting as pilot at Western Port, and superintending the shipment of the bark, and who was well acquainted with Western Port. He represented that there was a beautiful tract of land with plenty of water about ten miles further up the bay, and near to the government settlement which had been abandoned in 1827. After some deliberation and hesitation on the part of the captain, it was determined that a party should proceed at daylight to Phillip Island to examine that station, and if we could not find good land and water, to proceed at once to the spot pointed out by Mr. Tom. January 25th Went on shore at daylight with Mr. Malcolm, Mr. Robertson, and Mr. Moody to Phillip Island and returned in about an hour, finding the island totally unfit for the purpose required. Got the vessel immediately under way, and proceeded to the spot pointed out by Mr. Tom, and came to anchor within a quarter of a mile from shore, about nine o'clock in the morning. The long and other boats were immediately loaded with sheep, and Mr. Moody, Mr. Gardiner, Mr. Leakey, Mr. Malcolm, Tom, and myself, and two shepherds, went ashore with the first boat. Mr. Robertson stayed on board for the purpose of superintending the sheep, and it was arranged that Mr. Moody and the shepherds should wait on the beach and receive them, and that the others should examine the tract of land and decide upon the most eligible spot as a temporary settlement. When the sheep were landed, they endeavored to drink salt water and were inclined to wander as sheep always do in a strange place. They were landed upon a point of land with abundance of grass, and three hundred acres of land might be enclosed by a line of a hundred and fifty yards. When I landed, I particularly cautioned the shepherds not to let the sheep stray, and to keep them from salt water. We then proceeded to examine the land, and found abundance of grass, and in some places it was six feet high but we did not find any water. In passing through one of the valleys, I found the gleams of heat extremely oppressive, and which brought on violent palpitations and a determination of blood to the head. We were then distant about three miles from the vessel. I walked back, supported by Mr. Gardiner and Mr. Leakey, about one mile, but was unable to proceed any further. I then lay down under a tree, Tom and Mr. Leakey remaining with me, and Mr. Gardiner and Mr. Malcolm proceeded to the vessel to procure assistance. They returned in two hours with a boat, and I reached the vessel about three o'clock, and found all the sheep, amounting to one thousand and nine, had been landed. In the evening, Mr. Robertson, Mr. Leakey, and Mr. Gardiner went ashore and found the shepherds near the point and that the sheep had strayed away. They went in search of them, and brought back to the point about eight hundred, which they placed in charge of the three shepherds who were then on shore. January 26th Mr. Robertson and the other gentlemen went on shore at daylight, and found that the shepherds, instead of being stationed back in the bush, so as to keep the sheep on the neck, had in fact wholly neglected their duty, and had slept at the extreme point on the beach close to the vessel, and on searching for the sheep, only two or three 
which were in a dying state could be found. The gentleman then proceeded in search of the sheep, returned about eleven o'clock to the ship to breakfast, having walked about fifteen miles in a fruitless search after the sheep. Mr. Robertson, having found from Mr. Tom that there was a fine river about nine miles from the point, was extremely anxious to proceed in search of the sheep as far as the river, under the expectation of finding them, and Mr. Tom promising to meet them in the evening with a long boat near the mouth of the river. The captain and my son left the vessel about the same time, proceeded along the beach on the other side of the point, and as far as the late settlement. The captain and Tom found the tracks of sheep along the beach, and about two miles from the landing place, a muddy saltwater creek, and the carcasses of about 280 sheep in and near the creek. Mr. Robertson and the others reached the vessel about eleven o'clock at night. They had been unsuccessful in their search. They were worn out with fatigue and anxiety. Mr. Moody went into violent hysterics. Mr. Robertson and Mr. Leakey were both taken exceedingly ill, and, in fact, nature appeared quite exhausted. January 27th We this morning took into consideration our own situation and what course should be pursued. Having suffered from the heat on Monday, I did not think it proper to expose myself to the dangers of a journey over land, and I intimated my intention of staying on board until a better opportunity of proceeding either backwards or forwards presented itself. But finding that one or two of the gentlemen would follow my example and that the others would proceed overland to Port Phillip, and thinking that three or four might be exposed to dangers, which eight might prevent, and knowing also the anxiety I should feel and the uncertainty of their fate, I at length determined that we should all proceed by the first opportunity to Port Phillip. We were all anxious, however, before we quitted the vessel, to conclude some arrangement for the establishment of Mr. Moody, until we could send him assistance from Port Phillip, and, as the late government station, appeared the most eligible for that purpose, on account of its situation and supply of water, we proceeded this morning in the whaleboat to that station, and made arrangements which appeared satisfactory to Mr. Moody, who then determined to remove all his stores, and also the wives of the shepherds, out of the vessel and fix his station there, so that we might direct a party where to find him. On our return to the ship, the party were all busily engaged in making arrangements for the proposed journey, and I was busily employed in making calomel pills in case any of the party should be taken ill. This day was extremely sultry, and we are waiting some hours in anxious expectation of the sea breeze, as we were desirous of reaching Sandy Point that night, so that we might start upon our journey by daylight. About five o'clock, a slight breeze set in, and we bid farewell to the Norval, each person taking one bottle of water and trusting to Providence for such further supplies as we might require. In our passage to Sandy Point, Mr. Gardner shot a swan, and Tom another. We were unable to reach Sandy Point before dark. At about three-quarters of a mile from our landing place, 
the boat grounded on a sandbank with a rapid ebbing tide, and we remained aground, high and dry, all night. At daylight, the tide was flowing, and in one and a half hours the vessel was afloat, and about six o'clock we landed and saw many tracks of the natives upon the beach. We made a fire and roasted the swans for breakfast, which proved very acceptable, and, after having remunerated Mr. Tom for his trouble, and obtained from him a promise to return to the same spot on the following Sunday, in case we should be unable to accomplish our purpose, Mr. Tom took his departure in the boat, and we commenced our journey. 28th. The party were eight in number, all carried arms except myself, and all knapsacks except Tom and myself. Mr. R. most kindly carried the greater portion of my provisions, and Mr. L. the blankets, and the remainder was carried by my shepherd. Mr. G. was chosen conductor, and, in case of any appearance of the natives, the gentlemen were all pledged to act under my direction. We pursued a course northwest, and found the country for the first three miles heath and low scrub. We then got into a thin forest, and after we had walked about nine miles, I felt the same effects from the heat that I had experienced the previous Monday, and in consequence the party halted in the forest. I lay down for about two hours, and finding the heat very oppressive, I took three grains of calomel and, in half an hour afterwards, took another pill. Whilst we were in the forest, Mr. L. had exhausted his supply of water, and at this time he was determined to leave us in search of water. Accordingly, Mr. L. and one of the men left us, and were absent upwards of one hour. We became much alarmed at their absence, but at length heard a cooey, and they returned with the intelligence that they had fallen in with about a hundred native huts, and near the huts had discovered water. We then packed up our things and proceeded on our course, and about a quarter of an hour came to a few water holes surrounded with a thick scrub. The party dined at this place, and, although it was extremely hot, we remained there till five o'clock under the shelter of a blanket tent to protect us from the rays of the sun. Having filled all our bottles with water, we then proceeded on our journey, and supposing the distance across to the bay of Port Phillip to be only a few miles, we were induced to hope we should reach the beach that night. Several times we fancied we could discern the sea, and we kept on walking till ten o'clock at night, when we got into a piece of open scrub, and thinking it safer to lie down in an open place, we determined to stay there that night, and those who had blankets spread them out and lay down to rest, affording part to those who had none. We were too tired either to make a fire or to eat. January 29th We rose at daylight and proceeded on our journey without any breakfast, under the hope of making the bay. We came to two or three very scrubby places, but without water, and, at this time, I do not think there was a bottle of water amongst the whole party. One or two of the gentlemen were of opinion that we were making too much north, which prevented us from reaching the bay, and, as that seemed to be the object of our desire, 
our course was altered a point or two more west and about eight o'clock in the morning we came upon a saltwater creek which led to port philip bay we found a fire burning in two native huts and every appearance of their having been occupied the previous night and on the beach we found tracks of natives proceeding towards arthur's seat we rested here and made a fire some of the party proceeded in search of water which however was very brackish we had our breakfast and consumed what little water was left two bottles of the brackish water were boiled with tea in the event of not finding better water after resting at this place about half an hour we proceeded on our journey about five miles and then discovered several native huts and to our great joy and gratitude found a creek with an abundant supply of water we rested at this place about two hours filled our bottles and proceeded on our journey about six miles and came to some more water holes and native huts we dined at the spot took a fresh supply of water and proceeded on our journey and came to a tract of low scrubby land upon which we took to the beach and came to an open sandy bay about thirty or forty miles long we continued walking till about six o'clock when the weather became squally and wet we walked for about half an hour and had intended to do so till late at night but the rain increasing we thought it most prudent to get some shelter before it was dark we then went into the scrub and found a sheltered spot we made a blanket hut to protect us from the rain with a large fire in front we soon found a large quantity of blue ants on the ground which we had selected for our resting place and i therefore as it was too late to move our tent spread the ashes all over the ground which had the effect of driving them away it continued raining till about two o'clock but as we were lying on a sandbank the rain was all absorbed thirtieth january we started this morning about half an hour before daylight and continued walking till eight o'clock without finding any fresh water we then rested and had our breakfast and about half a pint of tea to each person which was all the water we had left and we then continued our journey expecting at every turn of the bay that we should discover the river we continued walking till twelve o'clock when mr leakey and tom lay down and declared they could not proceed any further till they got water we had now quitted the shore and got upon high land again after resting on the hill about half an hour i urged upon the party to proceed and after some difficulty we were all on the march but some of the party were a considerable distance behind we were now on a native track and the advantage of following those tracks is soon experienced this track continued along the margin of the hill and ultimately led us to the beach and near the beach we found a few native huts and one native well upon discovering the well mr g gave the welcome shout water which was immediately repeated by the others and in a few minutes the weary ones in arrear came rushing down anxious to quench their thirst but by the time they had reached the well mr g reported the water to be bad mr r however examined the well and thinking that it had been choked up he got an oyster shell and cleaned it out and deepened it expecting that the fresh water would be good the party were now obliged to wait with much anxiety watching the rising of the water in the hole 
and at length Mr. R. was enabled to distribute to each person half a pint, and in about one hour a second supply of one pint each was distributed for dinner, and we were enabled, when we quitted at four o'clock, to take with us three bottles of water. At four, we continued our course along the beach, Mr. Gardner and myself making the first start, and in about ten minutes we saw a dog on the beach advancing toward us. At length he stopped and ran back again and turned into the bush, from which we concluded that the natives were at hand. We waited till some of the party came up, and then advanced and found on the beach part of a boomer kangaroo, and we saw the tracks of several natives on the beach and several tracks of dogs. We fully expected this night to reach the settlement, and we pushed on until seven o'clock. We then came to a point which we fully expected would be the head of the river. We crossed over the point and found a stack of wattle bark, and we also found the hut where the barkers had lived and the tracks of a cart. It had been raining about three quarters of an hour, and we were nearly wet through. We felt assured that we were near the settlement and that the bark had been obtained by Mr. Faulkner's party, but we could not see the river. It was near night, and there was every appearance of a wet night, and we therefore considered it most prudent at once to make a blanket hut for the night and make a fire, before the bark and grass were too wet, in which we accordingly did. Two of the party went in search of water holes, but without success, and Tom went to the beach to shoot a duck, and in about ten minutes he returned, having found the water holes near the beach, and where we again obtained an abundant supply of good water. This night was very wet, and the most uncomfortable night we had experienced. 31st January Although we were satisfied that we were near the settlement, we considered it most prudent to keep the bay until we reached the river, and after walking seven miles further, we at length discovered the mouth of the river. My feet had been for the last two days very much blistered, and I felt quite unable to walk any further, and I therefore proposed that half the party should proceed to the settlement and send a boat or a horse to my assistance, and Mr. Gardner, Mr. Leakey, Mr. Malcolm, and Tom proceeded to the settlement. I hobbled along with the assistance of Mr. Robertson, about three miles, and then waited for the horse or boat. In about half an hour, a boat, manned with blacks, came down the river. We hailed them, and after explaining where we had come from and who we were, they came to our assistance. We found they were going to the heads to fish, but they immediately proceeded with us to the settlement, and we arrived there about twelve o'clock. The settlement consists of about a dozen huts built with turf on the left bank of the river Yarra Yarra. The river from the mouth to the settlement is about eight miles long. It is salt for about six. The first two miles it is about five hundred yards wide. For the next three miles it is about three hundred yards. It then becomes gradually narrower and is about sixty yards wide at the settlement, with deep and precipitous banks and vessels of sixty tons burthen can, with safety, proceed to the settlement close to the shore and discharge a cargo, as it was of importance that immediate assistance should be rendered to Mr. Moody. I made arrangements with Mr. Batman to dispatch 
on the next morning four sydney natives who it appeared were well acquainted with western port and who upon my questioning them appeared also quite confident that they would be able to find the sheep and bring them to port philip i felt very much vexed on learning that the natives with the exception of two had left the settlement on a hunting expedition a few days previous and would not return for some time first february i had this morning a long conversation with buckley and explained to him very fully the desire of the association in every respect to meet his views and to make him superintendent over the native tribes for the purpose of protecting them from aggressions and also of acting as an interpreter in imparting to them not only the habits of civilization but also of communicating religious knowledge it appears from his statement that the tribes are most peaceably disposed that they fully understand the nature of the grants issued by them and that they are looking forward to the time when the blankets tomahawks and flour will be distributed buckley appears to be of a nervous and irritable disposition and a little thing will annoy him much but this may arise from the peculiar situation in which he has been placed for so many years i am quite satisfied that he can only be acted upon by kindness and conciliation and that by those means he will be an instrument in the hands of providence in working a great moral change upon the aborigines he is not at all desirous of occupying any land or having sheep but is highly pleased at the idea of being appointed superintendent of the natives with a fixed stipend so that to use his own expression he may know what he has to depend upon and be enabled to make a few presents to his native friends i told him that i intended on the following day to proceed to geelong and inquired whether he would not like to visit his own country he seemed much pleased at the idea but stated he did not think he could walk so far i then proposed he should ride which seemed to gratify him very much and in consequence i engaged a large cart horse of mr faulkner's for that purpose my feet were so bad i could not walk and as i was desirous of seeing number twelve i had my horse taken to the fording place and round to the saltwater creek at about ten o'clock mr g mr r dr cotter myself and linfield went in the whaleboat to the creek i took linfield with me for the purpose of making him acquainted with that section as i intended to stock it after passing over about six miles of the section we came upon a large saltwater river which dr cotter was of opinion communicated with a chain of freshwater ponds which he had recently crossed on that section dr c and myself therefore proceeded to trace up the river and i requested the remainder of the party to trace it down to the sea dr c and myself then traced the river up to the chain of ponds and i was quite satisfied there was plenty of water on the grant we then made across to the point at which the ships lay and the stock was landed and we found all the party with the exception of linfield who it appeared had stayed behind we waited for him about three-quarters of an hour, and, as it was six in the evening, the gentlemen were anxious to return, and I therefore desired the man to take the horse round to the point, find Linfield, 
and bring him home by the fording place. About ten o'clock at night the man returned home with a horse, and stated that he could not find Linfield anywhere, and, as I felt very uneasy about him, I desired Mr. Batman to send the boat to daylight the next morning in search of him. 2nd February The boat returned this morning, about seven o'clock, with Linfield, who, finding he had lost us, proceeded to the Saltwater Creek, where he had been landed, and being, as I imagined, very much afraid of the natives, sat up in a tree all night, and seeing the boat come down the river, cooed to them. Mr. Faulkner's vessel arrived this morning from Georgetown, and I considered it advisable to send assistance to Mr. Moody in the removal of the women, stores, and rams from Western Port, and I therefore engaged the vessel for one trip upon Captain Swanston's account. In consequence of Mr. Faulkner's people being engaged with the vessel, we were unable to obtain the horses for our journey until about four in the afternoon, when we started, seven in number, intending to reach Captain Swanston's station on the River X that night. The scenery from the settlement to the ford on the Saltwater River is most beautiful, and some of the spots quite enchanting. The grass had been burnt about a month previously, and was then quite green and beautiful. The land is very rich, and consists of a succession of gentle hills and dales, and the first view of the Saltwater River and its windings is beautiful beyond description. We reached the ford about 6.30, and we found the country completely changed when we crossed the ford. The land was then quite flat and rather rocky, and from the ford to the station on the axe, a distance of 14 miles, and, in fact, up to Geelong Harbor, consisted of open plains, with a thin coat of grass and exposed to the cold winds. We did not reach the station until 10.30 at night, and were compelled for the last seven miles to follow a cart track, which we were fortunately enabled to do, as it was a starlight night. End of section 56